What's up? Welcome to another episode of Vet School Unleashed, Dissecting the DVM, where we dissect topics and issues relating to life in veterinary school. I'm your host, Seth Williams, and I'm a veterinary student at the University of Missouri College of Veterinary Medicine. So, you've completed the pre-vet prereqs, you've got your shadowing and experience hours done, you've written your essays and submitted your applications to vet school, and now you're in. Congratulations. But now comes another tough hurdle to jump over. So, if you've gotten into multiple veterinary schools, congratulations. But how do you make the decision of which school to attend? I know that it can be really, really easy to lose sleep over this great dilemma to have, but I hope that today's episode will help guide you to making your decision a little bit easier and one that you'll be happy with. I am super excited to welcome on Rachel Corville. She's a class of 2020 veterinary student here at Mizzou, and we're going to chat about what goes into the incredibly difficult decision of choosing a vet school. All right, so welcome to the podcast, Rachel. How's it going? It's going well. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your wisdom with everybody. I know you're uh, in the tail end of your didactics. Yeah. Got a few months to go, so. Feels good. (laughs) Yeah. You'll be there before you know it, Mm -hmm. the clinic. So, um, so yeah, so uh, thank you again, Mm -hmm. and I am really excited to talk to you today about making that tough decision on how do you choose a vet school once you've gotten in? So I want to start off just by having you give a little bit of a background about yourself, where you're from, um, where you went to school, and and how you chose Mizzou. Yeah, sure. Uh, Well, I never really had Mizzou on my radar. I didn't, you know, grow up in Missouri. I'm from Michigan. And uh, I went to undergrad at Michigan State, and they had a vet school. And I kind of, you know, as I was getting through my prereqs, you know, Michigan State was kind of the one I was going for. Mm-hmm. And um, then I had this crazy idea to try to apply early because the way my classes worked out, I crammed in a lot of prereqs into those first couple of years and I it was an option. So right. uh, my idea was to, you know, I, I probably wasn't going to get in this cycle. So I might as well just to apply to as many schools as I can and see what happens. And worst case, I'll just learn a lot and sure. be able to apply next uh, cycle. And, um, yeah, so I applied to about seven schools and, um, I actually got into three of them. Awesome. Uh, I didn't get into my in-state, so that wasn't, uh, really my, you know, I didn't have that option of my in-state being the cheapest option. Right. So, um, you know, to choose from three out-of-state schools was a bit different and, uh, yeah. And I, I landed on Mizzou because they, they were actually the, the most, financially responsible they're my least expensive option and that's really important to me um and they had a great two and two program which the other two schools i was applying to they both had one year of clinics okay um and yeah so and what helped was mizzou only one of the other schools hosted an interview Mm. and mizzou hosted a really great interview day i thought and um yeah they kind of not only you know, interviewed you, but they almost let you interview them as well. You know, sure. they, they really showed sure. off what they had to offer in a way. And um, so, yeah, it just felt like family and it was actually calculating it out. It was about a little bit less expensive than my in-state would have been. Wow. So That's yeah, crazy. yeah, because for those of who don't know, uh, if you're an out of state student going to Mizzou, they have um, you your first year is out of state tuition and then you can apply to be a resident and get in state for the next three years. So it really brings in the ability to have an out of state school as a a legitimate option when you're applying. Right. That's a huge perk of Mizzou. And I, and I I know there's some other schools out there that do that. I'm just not sure which ones they are, but uh, definitely look into that if you are choosing because that could be a hidden gem for you. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, so we have gone through a whole bunch of different pieces of criteria of, of what to choose and or how to choose a vet school. So we're going to talk about that now and kind of go through the list and just share our thoughts on them. Okay, yeah, ready? Absolutely. All right. So the I figured we'd start at the beginning of the curriculum. So the first mm-hmm. couple years of school, which for most schools are not going to be in the clinic. It's going to be didactics and the basic sciences, as they call it, the, yep. the not as exciting stuff. But um <laughs> But you got to do it. So mm-hmm. let's talk about the use of models and cadavers yeah. and how they teach that sort of thing. What do you know about that? Um, I know that 
there are certain schools um, in the country, maybe some more of the, the newer schools that are kind of shifting towards a model based curriculum for, mm-hmm. you know, learning, which I think has major pros and cons. It, you know, the pros, it, it looks good from, you know, from a public relations standpoint, um, you know, that no animals are harmed in the making right. of this vet student. Right. And um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I think that there is, you know, it might be hard to talk about sometimes, but there is a drawback where you're not touching real tissue. You're not right. getting a feel for, you know, a model. Most of them are made very similar to one another when, you know, dogs are very individual, at right. least what I learned in anatomy through the use of cadavers. Um, you know, one dog might be really svelte and the next dog is really right. obese and how that changes things anatomically and, um, you know, certain birth defects that might come up. And um, so, yeah, I think there's, I don't think that there's a perfect option, mm-hmm. um, but at least I felt more confident in my knowledge, I think, going to a school that, you know, we learned through cadavers because I really felt that I got a full view of, of anatomically what they looked like and, and what tissue felt like and the variability that it can offer. So Right. I think it's definitely a personal preference too. I think mm-hmm. if everyone's going to be different in their opinions on, on yeah. what they want to, how they want to study, what specimens they want to see. They may, you may have a problem with, with using cadavers and that's totally that's fine. That's, absolutely that's your okay. prerogative, obviously. Yeah. Um, but just think about that in terms of your learning and uh, kind of on a different subject, but similar is surgery training as mm-hmm. well. I know that a lot of schools do it differently in the specimens, specimens they use for surgery. Yeah. Um, definitely using cadavers is, is pretty commonplace, but yeah. I think it's becoming somewhat commonplace for some schools to not use live specimens either for surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that this is a very touchy subject and it's yeah. it's it's changed quite significantly over the past uh decade or a couple decades where uh sadly and and again kind of going back to personal opinion everyone's entitled to their own opinion about this but using mm-hmm. um uh, shelter dogs or, or shelter cats for their life surgery surgeries and having those be terminal surgeries yeah. um now at mizzou we we have gone away from using dogs and cats on uh, terminal surgeries and now using pigs yeah. um, research pigs which is, it's still not a good feeling but mm-hmm. um i think a little bit more uh, society is a little bit more uh, accepting of, of yeah. using research pigs. But for me, using a live specimen for surgery uh, was monumental. Yeah. And because it, uh, for any vet student that's listening and for, for all of you uh, that are soon to be in vet school, uh, dissecting and doing surgery on a live animal versus a, a cadaver is night and day different. Yeah, um, live tissue and dead tissue are completely different and they mm-hmm. feel different and they act differently. So uh, that was a big thing for me. I didn't realize until I got into school that um, mm-hmm. when you're doing your surgery labs on cadavers, but then once you got into the live specimen, it was a whole different ball game. Yeah. Um, so that was really special to, to to have that opportunity here. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's it is a very touchy subject, but I think we also should look at it from the client's point of view, you know, right. and, um, you know, it's it's one thing I, I am very happy that Mizzou has gone away from using dogs and has gone to pigs i think that's a really happy medium there mm-hmm. um but yeah i think i i do agree that there is a night and day feeling even though i haven't completed our surgery you right. know yeah i've i've seen surgeries and things like that and you know it's it's quite different um and i think there's there's a, a confidence in your abilities again that that goes along with that and as as a client, when, if someone's working on my dog, I want that to be the best of the best person. Right. I want them right. to have the best, you know, experience. And I think using live tissue is really important in that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's there. I, again, don't think that there's a perfect, uh, option and that we just have to do the best with what options we do have. And right. I think Mizzou has done a really good job with finding the balance in between there and and using pigs as and and you know it's not like they're overusing them i think there's you know two surgeries um in right. our surgery class and the rest is done on cadavers so right. you learn as much as you possibly can right and then you use them as as little as possible right. to get the most information out of them so they're not being misused in any way so right and on that same topic of if we're talking about specifically surgery training uh be sure to look into the school's uh 
shelter medicine program if they mm-hmm. have one there i know and i and i know obviously we are very biased for mizzou <laughs> here but um i just got off of our shelter medicine rotation in clinics which was an amazing experience and um a, a definitely a very special rotation that we have where we were doing spays and neuters on <laughs> shelter animals all day long so that's where we got a lot of our life surgery experience and we got really good at, at uh, not really good we got better at spays and neuters um you know uh, each student got to do between 25 and 50 spays and neuters over the awesome. couple of weeks that they were there. So um, definitely something to look look into at your at your schools at the schools you're looking at if they have something like that where you have the opportunity to to do surgery yourself on on animals in the hospital or in a shelter because sometimes uh, you may get to assist on a, on a surgery but you may at some schools just get to watch and, and yep. be a, a spectator. So one other another question to to look at when you're choosing. Yeah, and I think it's also you know, kind of an important overall piece of advice when, you know, when you do go for interviews and things like that, um, to almost interview the school as well. Like you're there, they're, you're there so that they can see if you're a good fit, but also you have to see, you know, you have to ask questions yourself and, you know, it's not always just about getting into a vet school, but you know, like we're talking about now, yeah, the right one. And, and so, yeah, to a certain extent you're, you're feeling them out. Well, right. <laughs> too. And, and kind of just what made me think, too, is that uh, the interview does not have to end the day that you went mm-hmm. to go interview. If you still have questions and you need the school, as silly as this may sound, to sell them on you, go back and meet with them or give them a call or or um, do a video chat. And, you know, they'll be open to those things. They they've accepted you. They want you to come. Uh, it's now their job to to sell themselves to you. So don't mm-hmm. be uh, don't be afraid to do that. Absolutely. All right, so uh, on to the next similar topic, which is on the the way that the curriculum is is teached, and this we can go into this for hours and hours, but because every school is a little bit different, mm-hmm. but I wanted to talk about the difference between like case based learning or problem based learning, doing it uh, like as a modular style, doing it. Uh, just kind of through classes like today we're going to talk about renal physiology and and next semester we're going to talk about GI and so on and so forth um, and the differences that 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 schools teach so so what are your thoughts on that yeah well um, you know I've I've got a couple of friends who go to schools where it is you know organ based almost mm-hmm. um, taught and and then there's places like Mizzou where we teach in the ologies we teach anatomy and physiology and then you know pharmacology and parasitology and all of these things and you know you might in every class you you touch on if it's applicable the same organs right and um, so so you know there's a pro and con list there too but um, with the modular base learning from my understanding of it is that you learn everything there is to know about the kidney and then you move on to everything right. there is to know about the stomach and then you move on. And, um, and I think that's great in a, you know, limiting repetition kind of a way, you mm-hmm. know, limiting going over the same information over and over again. But at the same time, you know, the first thing you learn you might not touch on for a very long time until right. you're studying for boards again. And, you know, right. you might have for at least the first couple of things I learned in vet school, I'm not so sure if I remember them perfectly. Yeah, I don't you know, remember the first year of vet school. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you know, so it's just that time, you know, and um, versus places like Mizzou, there, you know, you run the risk of being a little too repetitive sometimes when you're like, I get how a nephron works, right. which is the the functional unit of the kidney. You know, it's kind of uh, gone over again and again right. every time we talk about some other aspect of the kidney whether it's its pathology whether it's its parasites that can be infected in it and um so i think there's a risk of being repetitive there but to me that's almost a positive thing mm-hmm. because i'm getting a refresher every single time right. when i might have you know been fuzzy on those details or um you know forgotten a couple of them and and so i think of it as a as a pro to teach it more class based but mm-hmm. again People think and learn so differently in vet school. I have right. a friend who learns from flow charts and I looked at her notes one day and I was like, that looks so alien right. to me. I learned from writing things down over and over again mm-hmm. and she thought that looked so alien alien right. to her. So, you know, it's not always my opinion of what I think, you know, would work best for me. But if you are someone who, you know, thinks like, oh my gosh, learning, you know, everything about one organ and then moving on, that sounds amazing. You know, right. that's some criteria that you should look at and form your own opinion on it. Right. So. Um, the thing that I do 
wish that that we had here at Mizzou, and I know that some other schools in the country have it, is problem-based learning okay. or case-based learning. Um, I found that now that I've been in clinics for, for a few months, um, going over cases and going through the problems that each case has, I learn, or at least it's sticking a lot better with mm-hmm. me right now. Um, and there's one course that we have here at Mizzou that is uh, case-based, which is clinical pathology. And you're just going over cases every every lecture and going through ex- uh, exactly what each of these parameters are. And it made so much more sense to me. And I know some schools around the country um, have a much much deeper focus on using mm-hmm. cases in their learning, even in the basic sciences like physiology. Um, probably not so much in anatomy. Not, there's probably not a whole lot you can do with, with that class. But uh, but again, in your, in your first year classes, using cases to guide the learning, um, mm-hmm. I think is a really new and cool way of, of teaching. So I'm, I'm curious to see how that actually works. It seems to me that it, it could be really cool. Yeah. Um, so it's another thing to keep in mind. Yeah. And, you know, just talking to my classmates about, you know, we're, we just started clinical pathology not too long ago. And um, I think the majority of us really like it. Sometimes there's a bit of a frustration of like a lot of people like their notes in a certain way. Right. And, and when you go back to look at your notes, there's just a bunch of cases, right. which um, but I, I think that's a very small, uh, you know, portion of people who dislike that. But the majority of us really like it. And. A reason for that being is it's a bit more like clinics. Right. And, you know, I've heard from other veterinarians who said, oh, I was awful in didactics. But once I got to clinics and I could put a name on right. a condition and I could put, you know, backstory in it, it became so much more memorable. And then I, you know, looked like the gunner. I just knew right. everything. And um, so I think, you know, there is that extra level of memory and case-based learning when you kind of put it all together in a picture like you'll actually see in practice, right. which is awesome. And I think, unfortunately, too, even though we're, we're saying all these things in high, hindsight, I don't think there's any way to know how you're going to mm-hmm. be learning or how what the best way you're going to learn is in vet school. So I know it's kind of crapshoot, and, and, and I'm sorry <laughs> for that, but, um, but hopefully having heard this discussion will have you kind of keeping your eyes and ears peeled um, for, for these different methods and, and maybe even some different classes and subjects and at the school that you go to will, will teach in these different ways. So yeah. Um, so yeah. So let's move on to the clinical years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the biggest thing that I was looking at when I was choosing between vet schools was how many years in clinics do you actually get? Um, I think some more schools now are incorporating more clinic time into the curriculum. I think uh, of those schools, it's more common to be adding at least a portion of the third year of school into the clinics. Um, some schools I know are actually having you go to clinics for a very short period of time in your first or two or second year. Um, but I know that at Mizzou, we, we spend uh, the vast majority of our third year, um, all but two months of it um, in clinics in, in addition to the fourth year. But um, I guess I'll share my thoughts first on the, the difference between a, uh, a program that does two years didactics and two years clinics versus the, I guess, the classic, as you would say, the three years didactics and one year in clinics um, and how that affected my decision. And for me, I'm definitely one of those people that is a much better hands-on learner. Um, I was never a great book student. Um, I, I just had to get out there and actually put my hands on something, and, and I learned that way. So that is was one of the big things that uh, made me choose Mizzou, is that we had almost two full years in the clinic. Um, and that was really important to me. Now, again, everyone's going to be different. Some people may uh, may not value that hands-on time as much. They may um, feel that they can learn much better by reading and by getting lectures and, and by studying that way. Um, but that is something to definitely keep in mind. Um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think it also really depends, you know, a, a bit on uh, what you're going for, what kind of veterinarian you want to mm-hmm. be. Because I remember talking to a veterinarian really early on when I was still getting experience hours pre-vet and kind of after the summer of working with each other, she was an equine veterinarian and um, we would just go on a bunch of calls and after a summer of knowing each other, she said to me, she was like, you know, I think when I think you're, you'll go to vet school, I think, you know, you've got it. But she said, you know, I think that you're going to really do well in clinical, not that mm-hmm. you won't do well in didactic, but she was like, the way you work with people, I think, you know, that's going to be your strong suit, which was a huge compliment. Thank sure. you very much. Um, <laughs> but yeah. And so when I, you know, that kind of put it on my radar of like, I should really focus on clinical stuff. And and I felt that way anyway. I liked the idea, but to have someone else say, I see it in you is, right. is huge. And so I think that really put 
that being a criteria on my radar. Um, and I think that's, you know, hearing from Mizzou of the schools that I had to choose from, Mizzou had the most clinical time. And so right. that was uh, that and cost were my two big ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I've also heard uh, one of our faculty members who we were, I was just chatting with uh, them and uh, they said they, they really disliked clinical everything because yeah. they wanted to be a researcher right? and they wanted to do research and clinical case treating uh, pharmacology, all that stuff had nothing to do with what they right. wanted to do. Right. And sometimes if you just know what you want, like if you know you wanted to go into a certain type of research or, um, you know, a very specific field, you might not like the majority of clinics and you might want right. to stick with a, um, a school that does majorly didactics or a school that might track so that maybe you sure. could have a research tracker if that's sure. an option or something like that. Right. So, you know, I think the majority of students will say, oh, yay, more clinic time. But there is, you know, a small minority that might be like, no, no, no. And that's that's OK, too. You know, right. knowing what you want is, is a good thing sometimes. Right. And that's part of why being a veterinarian is so great. You can do so many different things. You don't have to be a clinical mm-hmm. uh, clinical doctor. Yeah. You brought up tracking. So for the those of you out there that have no idea what we're talking about, <laughs> um, Rachel, how about you tell us what tracking Tracking means? is, to my understanding, I didn't apply to any schools that offered it, so I'm a little um, hazy, but uh, to my understanding, it's, let's say you want to be an equine veterinarian, um, and you know that going in, you've known that for a while, mm-hmm. and you get to vet school, and they say, we offer tracking, equine is one of our tracks, um, and that means that there are certain classes that people who are equine will take the horse version of that and people who are small animal or something like that will take the small animal version of that because you know the anatomy is so different some of the drugs are so different and um you know it really might set you up better to be a that kind of a veterinarian but you know like everything there's pros and cons and um you know if you don't know what you want to be going to a school that offers tracking you know might not be the best decision or if they offer you know a track for you know a kind right. of a non-track route that's right. fine but um but yeah i think it it really is a benefit for people who know exactly what they want to do but maybe not as important for people who are still undecided right and uh, yeah I, I agree with exactly with what you said um i think of it kind of as a way of doing like a residency before the residency uh because I, and i i have this little hunch that veterinary medicine may be going towards this way that's for a whole other conversation but i think that with the amount of knowledge that we have now in the field um learning about all the species it it, either we're going to need more years in school or we're going to need to kind of trim it down and focus a little bit more on on the area we want to go into but but aside from that um i think tracking is a really great way to get more experience and more knowledge in the specific area of medicine you want to go into however the one downside that I saw to it that kind of made me a little bit more hesitant towards choosing a school that tracked was about boards. Mm-hmm. Because, um, yeah. as you may or may not know, when you take your Navali in your fourth year, you are tested over all the species um, that you learn about in vet school, and everyone takes the same exam. So, let's say you did want to track towards equine medicine and you didn't want to touch a dog or cat for the rest of your life, and that's totally fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but you didn't really spend a whole lot of time keeping up on your dog and cat medicine. Um, you're going to be a little bit behind the eight ball when it comes time to start studying for boards, or you're just going to have to spend a little bit more time reviewing uh, all of that that material that had to do with canine and feline um, patients. So keep that in mind that that even though it's a really great opportunity, there there is that con of of having to you will have to come back and and relearn that or or keep that at least somewhere in your head um, to pull back out for boards time. Yep, I think that's a really good uh, point. Okay, so. Also, with clinics, I know that there are sometimes differences in the different services that each hospital has, um, whether they have a service for food animals and a service for equine animals, or if they have a service for small animals, do they have one or do they have all? Um, That is definitely something I think that everyone should be looking at. I know that some schools um, that may be more city-based may not have a very strong uh, food animal or large animal program. Um, But if if that's something that you're totally led into, that will work for you. Um, But that's something to keep in mind, I think. Um, What are your thoughts on on that? Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, You know, I was someone who 
mainly small animal. That's where a lot of my comfort and a lot of my experience hours was when I was a pre-vet. But I also, you know, spent some time with dairy cattle and they're, I think they're just giant golden retriever puppies. They're really, really cute and they're fun to be around. And I spent some time with horses. And so for me, I was kind of, I I had an idea of what I wanted, but I I could be swayed, let's put it that way, to, to something else if I was exposed to it and I really loved it. So for me, it was important to go to a school kind of with both or with, you know, a good... Um, foundation with either and so that's why Mizzou is so great because we do have you know a large animal clientele Um, but to someone again who's not interested in that you know certain schools if they don't offer it that might be fine you know if you are that could be a deal breaker Um, but also kind of along these lines you know you should also look into kind of the caseload of the school that you're Um, considering and I got into one of the newer schools and um, in the country and that you know they they hadn't had a graduating class quite yet and they were conditionally accredited which means everyone graduates gets you know a degree and all that good stuff so that was okay but um, they had these amazing facilities but they it wasn't open to the public and Mm -hmm. so they you know they they found you know they worked on research animals that you it was a, it was a good education. It passed the bar, but um, but for me, it was very important to be in part of a community and to get that you know client conversation and, and you know feel that kind of bond that there is there. So so for me, that was a deal breaker, I right. would say, and and that kind of you know led me away from that uh, potential route. And yeah, so I think it's important to ask about their clinic and and ask what kind of things they get in the door and if that's something that you're interested in seeing. Right. And that also goes back to what we talked about, what area of medicine you want to go into. Mm -hmm. If you don't want to be a clinician, then this would be a null point for you. Um, But if you do, that's if you do want to be a a clinician, um, that I think would be quite important. Yeah. And especially if, you know, uh, if you know what you are interested in, you know, there are certain uh, specialties that are quite new, like behavior and right. um, physical therapy, or I know that you can get certifications now in acupuncture right. and things like that. And if that's something that you are super interested in, you know, that's that's a bit of a niche sometimes. And, and finding a school that offers that might be a big factor for you. Right. Definitely. Definitely. So let's move on from the curriculum-based part of choosing a school into the non-curriculum-based, which I think sometimes gets overlooked in the decision-making process. So uh, there are a few, thing, few things that I wanted to touch on today. One is cost. One is just the overall feeling of the school. And one is travel and being close to home. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's start with cost. I think that's a really, really big one. Yeah. I've had a few questions from a few prospective students about how much cost should come into play when deciding what the difference is uh, in in how you pay back a loan and, and all of that sort of thing. But what are your thoughts first in terms of how it all works in terms of the cost of school? Yeah, well, for me, um, it all really comes down to every school that's accredited gives you the same degree. Right. And some will cost more than others, but at the end of the day, you're getting a DVM. And so for me, cost was a major factor, um, arguably right up there with program. And because um, for me, I don't want to be a slave to my loans a second longer than I have to be. I want to pay them off as soon as I can. Right. And um, that might be the fact that I have a uh, accountant for a mom right. <laughs> that, <laughs> that, you know, gets drilled in. But but yeah, I, I want to make really financially, you know, responsible decisions mm-hmm. and um, be able to start really living my life as soon as I possibly can, right. debt-free. And um, so for me, cost was, was a huge factor. And, um, you know, you have to think about not only the sticker price, but interest that will go along with your loans and cost of living, things like that. Um, the town where I did my undergrad, cost of living, living was about double what it is here. Wow. And yeah, so even though I was moving away from home, um, and you know, that means more travel expenses. That means flights home, gas to get my car 12 hours home. That's, you know, that's a big factor, especially tallied up over four years. That's, that's not a small number. And, um, but the fact that cost of living was drastically lower here, that kind of evened that out or, you know, even tipped the scales towards coming here because, you know, you 
your rent is probably a lot more than your travel expenses right. will ever be. Um, but but yeah, so I think cost is a huge factor, probably, you know, one or two for me. And, and I really want to second what you said about that at the end of the four years, no matter where you go, you're going to be a DVM at the end or a VMD. I see you, Penn. <laughs> um, anyways, you, you're going to be a veterinarian by the end of your four years. It's going to cost you differently, but your DVM will not be any more valuable at a school that costs you more versus a school that costs you less. Um, I think it's really important too, along these same lines, to understand how a loan works before you go to vet school. Um, Now, I know most of you that this question is looming over you right now um, have already had your interviews, um, but... Rachel, you made a really good point before we started talking that knowing how a loan works before your interview could be very, very beneficial. Do you want to share that story real quick? Yeah, absolutely. Um, this actually came up in uh, more than one of my interviews. I, I think it's a pretty common qu- question across the board um, where the, the faculty members, they they don't necessarily need to know how you plan to pay for your education, whether you get help or whether you don't, what kind of loans you take out. That's not their interest per se. They just want to make sure that you understand what you're getting yourself into. And um, so I was asked about it in my interviews and uh, my mom, again, being an accountant, she definitely walked me through how a loan works and I was forever grateful because it came in really handy. And, you know, not only knowing, you know, you have to make monthly payments for 10 years or whatever it is, but really understanding um, how interest works is, right. is the big deal. Because I think a lot of people before they entire before they come into vet school, before they entirely know how a loan works, um, you know, that that might be something that they don't quite understand how drastic of an impact it can have. Right. Um, and I think I remember playing around with some numbers uh, with my mom and we, we played around with the, my highest, my, my most expensive option. And uh, we put in a standard interest rate. And uh, by the end of it, the interest, like the, the total full price of the loan, not just my tuition, not just my tuition and living expenses, like the entire sticker price, uh, interest ended up being about a third of it. Wow. And, you know, that that's obviously variable. We were just playing with numbers, trying to make it accurate. But, um, but yeah, it can really influence uh you know, your loan and, and how long you take to pay back that money and, and how much your loan ends up being in the end. Right. Um, and I think it's important to understand that your first couple loans that you take out are going to accue the most amount of interest. And right. so if you have any savings, if you work over the summers, if there's any way to pay off those loans earlier than when you graduate or just paying off the interest on them so it's, you right. know, doesn't keep going. Um uh, I think that's really important, and that's kind of what I explained when I was, was asked this question, and they were they were impressed, which which was really a good feeling to have in an interview. Um, right. And yeah, so I thank my mom for that one. But um, but yeah, I think it's crucial, and not just to impress people in your interviews, but just to actually know that for yourself is is a huge deal. Right. Yeah, and having that understanding, is, I think, going to help make the decision a little bit easier if you're deciding between a school that may cost $50,000 more over the long run of your four years. But in the end, it's going to be quite a bit different than that $50,000. So by understanding how loans work, how how interest works, and and how that accumulates over time and, and repayment programs, um, while it may be just incredibly dry and boring, I think it's really going to help you in the long run. Um, so I encourage you to to go on YouTube and, and just find mm-hmm. someone that talks about it or go talk to a, a financial planner that yeah. does student loans. Or a really good um, resource that I used uh, was VIN. They actually, VIN is the Veterinary Information mm-hmm. Network and it's a website for veterinarians, but they have a foundation that is open to everyone. And um, so if you look up the VIN Foundation, they have a bunch of stuff on uh, a student loan simulator. Mm. That's what I used with my mom and we were playing around with numbers and it, um, yeah, so that's a really great way to, you know, not only YouTube videos and stuff like that. I love listening to people explain things to me, right. but, um, but yeah, if you really want to go in and plug some numbers in, that's, that's got it all set out for you. 
Yeah, definitely play with a calculator. Um, I actually did that before we started talking today, just to give some some numbers for for you out for you guys out there that that like the numbers. Because um, I, I I've had a few questions uh, from when I was applying and 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 now um, from some prospective students about like what is the difference between say a two hundred thousand dollar education versus one hundred fifty thousand dollar education in the long run is going to make that much of a difference. Um, and I think that again it comes down to just what your opinion is of. Is that a big difference or not? Um, but I ran the numbers uh, of those two loans. Um, and forgive me if this is not up your alley, but um, I like numbers and I think it's kind of fun. So a $200,000 loan paid back over 10 years. And, and there are many different ways to pay back a loan. But I think one of the more common uh, durations for loan repayment is 10 years. So using that as an example, paying that back over 10 years would be about $2,300 a month versus a $150,000 loan would be about $1,700 a month. So if you do the math, that's about $600 difference per month. And if you mat that out over that 10-year time frame, that's going to come out to a difference of $72,000. So again, you have to decide that for yourself if that is um, significant to you. Uh, and obviously, it all comes into play on how much money you think you're going to be making out of school and, and how you're going to be living out of school. But but definitely think about that hard because because um, it gets pretty complicated. And, and I know for, for most of us, cost is a really important thing. So having a, a decent understanding about loans and how they are repaid um, can really benefit you in the end. Absolutely. Good. So now that we got the, the dry, boring stuff out <laughs> of the way with money... Um, I think another really important thing that most of us that are in vet school now um, really appreciate about the schools that we chose was the overall feeling we got when we walked into that school for our interview or just for a visit. Um, so I really wanted to stress that too, because um, there were a few schools that I visited and interviewed at that I got a really, really warm feeling at and those that I did not get a really warm feeling at. And that really played into my my decision. Um, how about you? Yeah. Um, I interviewed at two schools and, you know, one of them being Mizzou and Mizzou. I just they really pull out all the stops on their interview day, at least for the out of state kids. You know, you go in and there's there's a lunch, there's tours, there's, you know, Doug, who you have had on your uh, your podcast before, who is just the friendliest person in existence. Yep. And um, and yeah, they really show how it's a family environment and they really bring out all of their faculty members for you to uh, meet and they introduce themselves. And so, you know, that one, I, w- I was blown away with uh, Mizzou's interview day. That was not something I ever expected out of a school. Mm-hmm. You know, they really went above my, um, my expectations. And uh, the other interview that I went on, it was, it was okay. We met a couple students, you know, there was no... Um, big faculty meeting there, you know, it just, it was a little bit colder. And, Mm -hmm. and then there was one school that I got into that didn't even host an interview. And so I never, you know, had a chance to visit. I I could have gone, you know, on my own volition. Um, but they were, again, cost comes into it. They're quite a bit more expensive, so they weren't really at the top of my list anyway. So, um, but yeah, so I think, you know, at least in my opinion, not offering an interview sometimes, you know, if, your perfect school doesn't offer an interview. That's great. But for me, it was really important, you know, to allow the school an opportunity to showcase everything right. they have and to showcase what their students think of the um, program. And uh, at Mizzou, when you interview, there's a big student panel and it's all different years. And you can see the way that the different years interact with each other. And here we have a big little program. So mm-hmm. when you first get in, in your first year, uh, you will have a second year who's kind of like your big sister, your big brother, and they help you through it. They give you opinions on classes and professors and, you know, how much time you should be studying for what right. class and all right. of that. Um, and they also, and, you know, especially at the beginning, there's uh, a couple cook at outs and and things that um, they can invite you to and I think there's a big little party and stuff like right. that so so it, it is important you know in, in the social aspect of vet school you know you're you're here for four years you're spending so much time with these people right and um, you know you're gonna get to know them so well and it's important that 
uh, not only you have a little bit, at least it was important to me to have a bit of that mentorship there from the class above me, but I also love giving mentorship. So right. when I got a little, that was one of the most exciting things uh, was to, you know, I had all of this all these opinions and all this advice in my head that I right. learned yeah. and I just wanted to give it to someone. And so, um, so that was really important. And, and Mizzou just knocked it out of the park as far as, yeah. you know, the social aspect of vet right. school goes. And I've heard, you know, rumors about other vet schools being clicky or, um, you know, the class is not really talking to each other that much, which, you know, obviously you should do your own uh, investigation, see if you can ask real questions to students at those schools and not just listen to the rumors. But right. um, I'm, I'm very happy to say that, that Mizzou is definitely not one of those schools that, right. you know, we're, we're very friendly. So. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I would just finish that off by saying culture is such a big part of vet school and it's definitely mm -hmm. not one of those things that you think about when you're applying. Um, but think back to when you went to interview and visit those schools and, and how they felt to you and, and, and the first impressions that you got. Cause normally, um, those impressions are going to be pretty indicative of how the school feels in general. So, um, just like what you said, Rachel, about you are at school so much and you're with those people so much that they become your second family, really. Um, and and that culture can really um, make or break a really, really positive experience versus one that may be not as positive. So mm -hmm. um, definitely if you had a really uh, warm kind of butterflies in your stomach feeling when you went, um, don't take that for granted and definitely put some value on that because... Yeah. Uh, because that can make a really big difference. Yeah. Oh, and um, one more thing with, you know, this kind of social scene at Mizzou is uh, there's something called VET, which is Veterinary en right. Enrichment and Training. And that is a really big word for our orientation. And um, basically, it's a three-day summer camp. And you do a bunch of bonding exercises. And you you do trust falls and things like that with, with your uh, classmates or soon-to-be classmates. And, um, you know, it's, it's such a good introduction event and bonding event. And um, I remember going to vet school. I didn't know anyone in the entire state. And wow. I got there and I was like, I better make some friends. Right. <laughs> um, and, you know, getting in there and I was, I was so, I'm a bit more on the introverted side of the spectrum. And so I was, that's, that's something that I do stress about a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, and I remember going into that, uh, situation and I was worried to a, a little bit that, you know, everyone who went to undergrad here would all already know each other or something right. like that. And that just wasn't the case. Everyone was so friendly. And I remember coming out of that experience feeling like I had a friend group or, you know, at least a group where there's major friend potential there. And, you know, I, I felt at home. So just, uh, you know, asking what the school does specifically, you know, I feel like that whole aspect is something that Mizzou does on purpose right. and to see if, if the schools that you're looking into do anything on purpose to whether it's, you know, school dances or, or right. things like that. We have a couple of charity gals that, you know, are, are a big, you know, camaraderie community event and, you know, just to see if they do anything intentionally to keep that social scene and, and you know, the happiness that comes from it alive in a way. Definitely. Definitely. I totally agree. So the last topic I wanted to touch on today was school rankings. And I know that if you Google rankings for veterinary schools in the U.S., you will come up with so many different things. And I believe every ranking out there has a certain place. Um, but what I want to talk about today is that sometimes the rankings can be misleading. And that's kind of what I want to talk about briefly um, today as we close out, uh, close out this discussion because I, I know that when when some of us chose our undergraduate schools and you'd go on U.S. News and news and, and look at those rankings, um, that sometimes played a, a pretty big part. In, and and there's definitely a lot in a name. Um, and sometimes these rankings can, can skew that a bit. Now, I'm going to preface all this by saying um, that no matter what school you go to, no matter what school you choose, it's going to be great. Every veterinary school in the country is amazing. So... Um, even the, the, the school that's ranked last on whatever list you're looking at does not mean it's a bad school. But anyways, my thoughts on rankings is that sometimes these rankings do not look specifically at what the actual veterinary students are experiencing. For example, the things that would be important to me in, in a ranking system would be um, student to faculty ratios and class size and 
Do they practice on cadavers or models? Or do they have live surgery? Um, do they have a teaching hospital? What's the cost? Um, I could go on and on. Um, what's their what's their board pass rate? Um, et cetera, et cetera. Now, unfortunately, with some of these rankings, it does not tell you what their criteria are. Sometimes it is about how much money do they receive from their state or how much funding do they get for their research or how many patents do they have. So all these really, really great things for these universities to have um, have under their name, but do they really affect the day-to-day education of their veterinary students? We don't know, right? Um, so, so that's kind of my two cents. I think the rankings are very important, but but I do kind of caution everyone to take them with a grain of salt and use your experience and, and the conversations you have with those schools, um, use those with a little bit more uh, value in terms of making your decision. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think I, you know, I really agree with what you said is, you know, there's not really a bad vet school out there. Even some of them that, you know, might be very expensive or, or might kind of be, you know, not very traditional, you know, the, the veterinarians that I've heard coming out of any vet school, people have said, you know, these are, these are amazing doctors. They're really right. great people. And I, I, I really think, uh, the only prejudice you'll find based on school is what state you're in <laughs> to right. a certain extent right. of, right. of, you know, the people who are your bosses usually like to see that you went to the same school that they did. But, right. but yeah, as far as rankings go, I really I, I didn't put a lot of value into them when I was applying just because I, I I had heard that quite a few of them were based on research and research wasn't really, or quite of the few that I had looked at were, were based on research and that wasn't um, a huge interest for me. Right. So, um, but if that is a huge interest to you, that might be a more accurate, you know, uh, ranking to go off of. Um, so yeah, to me, I, I didn't really pay too much attention to them, but I understand that a lot of people do. And um, and I understand that some schools pay attention to where they are ranked. And um, I, I do remember when I was uh, looking around on the internet about the school I go to now and when I was applying, which schools I was applying to, um, I came across a website called Student Doctor Network. And mm-hmm. I really loved it because I found the forum section of it. And uh, there's a forum for every application cycle for every class for every school and um, you can ask questions and it's just an amazing place Um, but also on a different part of their website they have their own ranking system and I thought theirs was interesting I think some of it is you know a bit more meticulous you know research-based stuff like that like many of them are Um, so you have to be careful but I also remember seeing that some of them were based on you know the if you signed in for an account, you could ha- take the survey right. of what your interview was like. And, you know, you say what questions you're asked and um, and they also ask you, you know, how is the feel? Would you consider this? Where on your rank is it in your head? And so they ask a lot more human questions um, and some of them that I didn't really consider. And I was like, wow, that's a really cool ranking. And so right. the, I think on Student Doctor, there are a lot of different ways to rank each school, not only their overall ranking, but, you know, all the different subcategories. Um, so I think that's definitely something to look into. It's, it, it was a ranking that um, was a bit more in-depth than the other ones that right. I had seen. So I would suggest, you know, checking it out. But but yeah, I overall, I wouldn't put too much emphasis on them and, and really focus on your own ranking of right. the ones that you've applied to and, and your feeling. I think because at the end of the day, you know, the people who made this ranking aren't going to be going through your vet school experience. Right. You will be going through it. And so um, your opinion is what matters most, I would say. Absolutely. All right. Well, terrific. We got through a whole bunch of stuff. I hope it's been helpful for you guys out there listening. Um, so Rachel kind of has closing thoughts. Um, what would be your elevator speech towards someone that's <laughs> battling this uh this really great dilemma to have. You know, I would say uh, take what we've talked about today and pick two or three really important categories for you. For me, uh, my top two were cost and program. And, you know, maybe take a minute and write down all of your schools and, you know, rank them for yourself. And, you know, just take a minute to gather your own thoughts and maybe write a pro-con list or something and um, take the information that we've given you today and put it into practice. And what about you, Seth? Um, yeah, very similar. Cost was a big thing for me. Um, proximity to home was also a big thing and, and, and where I wanted to be after graduation. Um, but I think the biggest thing, 
uh, for me in terms of choosing Mizzou was their clinical setup and, and how the hospital worked the cl- number of years we got in clinics. Um, but I think overall, just the overall feel. And I think that's going to be, um, at least for me, it was the biggest piece that went into my decision-making process of how I felt when I went for visits. Um, so if you feel like you want to go and, and get a second taste of what the school was like, I say, go for it. Um, it may cost you a little bit more, but, um, if you look in the grand scheme of things, how much a vet school is going to cost in general, um, it's not going to be a whole lot more. So, uh, this is a very big decision and, and don't take it lightly and, uh, go back for a visit, give them a call, um, uh, and, and let them sell you. Um, don't be embarrassed because that they want you as much as you want them. So, uh, don't forget that. Um, and yeah, it's a big decision, but it's a fun, fun time. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a great place to be. So, um, so congrats if you are having, having this, this dilemma. All right. And before we go, I wanted to make sure we definitely got a mention of the great work you do on your vlog. Incredibly value, entertain, incredibly valuable, entertaining, um, Bella vet. So what's that all about? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, when I was applying to vet school, I really was looking for someone on YouTube or someone out there who could share their experience kind of from a first person view of, of what, uh, vet school was like and what you know my future could look like and I couldn't really find anything so once I got in I decided to make a how to get into vet school video and it was mainly just for my friends because um, they kept on asking me the same questions um, right. about my application about all of the questions we've talked about today and I was like how about I just make a video and they loved it and it kind of stemmed from there and I wanted to create a place where people felt that they could go and get advice and feel like a mentor is always there for them um and and yeah and um I also you know wanted it to not only be a a, an advice vlog but also show that vet students can't have fun and kind of show the vlog side of it that we do get to go places and you know like I went on a research trip with the school this summer and you know they're vet school isn't all studying and debt there's a there's a lot of fun um that can be had too so so that's what i use my channel for but yeah, yeah. it is awesome um i've watched most of your videos and um had i only seen them before vet school um <laughs> it would have made a difference but where where can we find find it yeah it's just if you search bella vet on youtube it should come right up awesome yeah so definitely uh, prospective students even students in vet school there's a ton of great stuff out there um be sure to check it out it's awesome thank you so much all right well um thank you again rachel i hope uh for you all listening out there again that this has helped guide you in uh in this really good hard decision to have um congrats if, if you're in this boat um but uh, yeah, I had a lot of fun and, and I hope you guys had fun listening and, and Rachel, hope you had fun too. And oh, I, absolutely. <laughs> good. Um, so thank you again. This is awesome. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Once more, thanks to Rachel Corville for joining me on the podcast today. And please be sure again to check out Rachel's vlog, Bella Vet, on YouTube at youtube.com slash Bella Vet and find her on Facebook as well. She's got tons and tons of great vlogs for prospective and current veterinary students. Definitely check it out. And lastly, thank you so much for listening to the Vet School Unleashed podcast. For resources and more information about the podcast, please be sure to check us out at www.vetschoolunleashed.com or find me on Instagram at SethTheAlmostVet. I'm also on Facebook. You can also connect with me via email at Seth at VetSchoolUnleashed.com. I would love to hear your thoughts on today's podcast and also to hear any suggestions or topics you'd want to hear us talk about. Even reach out if you want to be on the podcast and share some insight of your own. And of course, if you feel so inclined, please leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again, and we will talk to you next time on Vet School Unleashed, dissecting the DVM. DVM.